And so we're, we're talking about hearing from God. And we've said from the beginning that it's normal, it's common, it's motivated by God's love. Last week, Jim talked about that the ways that it comes to our seeing and our hearing and our feeling and our sensing and our emotions. And so, but we know that his experience is so crucial. And so, uh, as we've started this series, every day we've invited just a person from our community to share um, a scenario, a story of them hearing from God. And so I want to invite Deb McCormick. She has come prepared today to share a story with us, one of her accounts of hearing from God. So Deb, thank you for sharing your experience with us. Do you want to step up here? There you go. Good, good. Strip on the way up right here. Okay, get my cheat sheet here. So good morning, everybody. So um, Nate had asked me to, um, to talk to you about a time that God spoke to me. Um, and I prayed about it and asked the Lord to tell me which time to share with you. Jesus quickly brought to mind a time he allowed me to see the battle he was fighting for me. So a little history, I grew up in Detroit with two older brothers. Our mom made sure we were raised in the church, but when I turned 15 years old, I was sure I didn't need Jesus anymore. I didn't need to go to church. I went on my own sinful, selfish way for 25 years until I was 40. So now I'm 40, I've been married for 10 years with three little kids, and I receive a phone call from my mom in the middle of the night, saying the doctors are saying we need to come to the hospital, that my dad isn't doing well and um, he's near passing. So while I'm on the phone with my mom, I'm hearing loudly in my head, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. And I felt Jesus standing right next to me. He was right on my left side. We all went to the hospital and were able to say goodbye to my dad, and he passed that day. In the weeks following my precious dad's passing, the Lord was nudging me to draw near to him, find a church, get the kids in Sunday school. I ignored him again and again. Then there was this evening. I was preparing dinner, just a regular evening, preparing dinner for the family. My husband, Chris, and the kids were peacefully in the family room. I was chopping up green pepper and onion at the kitchen counter, and I became acutely aware, had a vision of a battle that was going on just over my forehead. It was huge, it was loud, it was a tumultuous battle. I lowered and lowered my head, and I'm thinking, you know, what's going on, man? Am I going crazy? What is this? I looked toward Chris and the kids were, and no response, no reaction. I was the only one hearing it and able to see it. It seemed like it went on for a really long time, and then I heard a loud voice firmly saying, who do you choose? Who do you choose? I was like, whoa, and I realized it was Jesus talking to me. The battle continued on over my head. It was, it was surreal what was happening, and then I said, you, Jesus, I choose you. The battle dissolved and disappeared, I was freaked out. I was pretty scared. I was standing like, whoa, what was that? You know, and um, I couldn't stop thinking about it. Um, and then the days and the weeks and months following, I was filled with an insatiable hunger and thirst for everything Jesus. He led me to a church walking distance from our home with a terrific pastor who seemed to speak directly to me at every sermon. And then there was a sweet Sunday school for the kids. Jesus assured me that all my sins had been forgiven, washed away. And since that amazing evening in 1995, the Lord has allowed me to be a part of his plan by bringing opportunities to me to pray for and with people, schools and groups. He brings people to me often that want to pray. I'm so very grateful. So I've lived without Jesus, and I've lived with him, and I never want to live without him again. What a friend we have in Jesus. And I really, really like green pepper and onion. <laughs> Thank you so much. What an awesome story. Pulling in the circumstances of life. Deb, your memory is wonderful of that encounter with God. And you can hear from Deb's experience about how crucial it was. 
And for those of us who found ourselves in those places of hearing from God, it is crucial. And so there are practical, there are life-related results of hearing God that are huge for us. So when it comes to these practical, life-related, clearly marking our life, results of hearing for God, which do you long for? I'm going to list four. Dallas Wilder's book, Hearing God, lists these, and I think they're just beautiful. Which one of these four real-life, practical results of God speaking do you, do you recently, or maybe right in this moment, do you long for? And so here are the four. One is direct, daily access to God and his kingdom for all believers. And it's often interaction with God. This daily direct activity with God. This movement in your life. Do you long for that recently? Maybe it's just confidence, comfort, and peace as a part of real life interaction with God in his voice. How about the third one? Protection from mad religionists and legalism. You know what mad religionists are? Like the, that, that's the scary religious people. You're in a church. You're a step closer to that than you know, right? <laughs> mad religionists were those, the Pharisees at the time in Jesus' day when all of a sudden Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath and all of a sudden they say things like, he's got the devil in him. You know what? Because you're not supposed to do stuff like that on the Sabbath because the Bible says don't do that kind of stuff on the Sabbath called work. And so because Jesus did this and the Bible says that, and we have great confidence in what the Bible says, Jesus is clearly a sinner and God's not in him. That's mad religionists, right? The other mad religionists are the ones who say, I hear God, he's telling me, you should give me all your money, whatever it is, right? It's the, it's the distortion of people who are going to abuse you, who are going to lie to you, who are going to power over you in order to get something from you. They're going to use their power over you to distort and to lie, and usually it's not helpful and it's harmful, and if you hear from the number of people who grew up in a church and who no longer go, a lot of times they had an experience like that where someone powered over them and God and demanded they give them something that was not their right. And so we need this, right? Real life encounters that we know how to protection from that kind of evil that just kind of surrounds in the mix of religion and legalism, right? This sort of like dogmatic sense of we're going to do it all right and then God's going to really like us and we're going to be number one, right? That kind, of, that kind of heart. The protection against that and the final one is just a quality of life. Not a quality of life of the American dream. No, the quality of life of the scriptures, where your lives were moved in a way that brought life. Oh, which one do you long for? Is there one of those that recently you're like, oh, goodness, oh, Lord. I mean, I, I long for them all, I'll tell you the truth, but that quality of life in the scriptures for me is, I long for that. And when I, and I get glimpses of it as God's like whispering and you know, as we hear the stories of Elena and we hear the story of Dave, you know, this quality of life where all of a sudden God's moving through the people mover and, and all the outside circumstances of life and moving us to this life of generosity. That kind of quality of life, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, that's, that's living. It's good. Well, so which one? Um, take a note of it, right? Hold it, because this is a vision this is a vision for a life of hearing God. This is what he says when I speak to you. I, I give you direct access. I, I give you comfort, confidence, and peace through my speaking to you. Protection from all the craziness that is associated with this sort of ongoing pursuits around God and religion. And, and also this reality of a real life. Which one? Would you whisper it? Would you tell the person next to you? Which one grabs you? vision of life. Which ones of these do you hunger for, that you're longing for most recently? Tell the person next to you which one, which one grabs your attention. All of these are realities of God speaking to us. And so if I list that list, you said, you know what? We need to be able to hear God. 
The stakes are high and important and good. This is a vision for the kind of life that God is inviting us into through the person of Jesus Christ. So hold on to that because I think it's a vision for life and many of us lack the reminders and the reality of the good life that God's inviting us into. And these desires are good. These longings are good. And these recent longings that you have are God himself inviting you to say, let you be a little bit more hungry for something really good. Because if you're hungry for it and you seek it, you'll find it. So we've kind of opened up this text with God speaking and in John 10, there's this whole like teaching of Jesus and, and he's talking about this metaphor of a shepherd and sheep, but let me go back to it in John 10 verses three to five, it says the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out his own, he goes ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. Again and again as we read Jesus, he, he, this is a metaphor he uses in the metaphor of the scriptures, the shepherd and the sheep. And he's using an analogy that is even like accurate. Like animals know the voice of their owners. For any of you who've had pets and stuff, this is a real reality. They know now, now some animals, you might have the dog that if you call for it, he'll come to you regardless, but animals, they know the voice, and the sheep knew the voice of their shepherd, but he's reminding of this reality that he is a shepherd who calls the sheep by the name, and they can recognize and distinguish the voice, the characteristics of it. And so today is what we want to talk about, like distinguishing the voice of God, how to confidently distinguish and recognize God's voice, the voice of Jesus, as his voice. And so, I, so here's the big thing. I say the, the um, most crucial part of this about how to distinguish God's voice as his voice, the most essential way to do so. And one of the most essential ways is this. Experience. In the same way of everything else, nothing bypasses experience. Experience is learning. So often, we will place knowledge over experience. This idea of knowing something about something. And today, I'm going to try to tell you stuff about stuff and the characteristics about God's voice. But that will never surpass overshadowed the experience of actually hearing God's voice again and again and again to truly know what it sounds like. Nothing overshadows experience. You want to distinguish God's voice from other voices to know that it's his? It's an experience. And so again and again, we're coming back to the first point of our week one. God speaks. And it's meant for you to experience it so you would know to distinguish it because it's happening regularly. And you're longing for it. You have this intent. You have an intent to want to listen, to want to engage, to actually receive the experience of God and, and do something with it. The ability to distinguish God's voice comes only with experience. And John, who, this is in the first epistle that John wrote, and John was a disciple of Jesus. He experienced Jesus firsthand, right? I mean, it, when, when the, the writers said this, they said, oh my word, of all the prophets and all those who have been alive, they've, they've, they have ached to see what you saw, to stand where you stood, to experience what you've experienced. So John experienced it, and then he shared his experience of the voice of Jesus, and then his reality of the ongoing voice of Jesus speaking to him after his resurrection, after his death and resurrection. And so John, in his epistle, after Jesus had died and risen from the dead, and he's encouraging the church, he's, he's talking about his own experience, and he's wanting to encourage this body of believers, and he says this in 1 John 2.27. You have received the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, and he lives within you, so you don't need anyone to teach you what's true. He wasn't pushing against teaching and learning, but he was saying, no, you, you don't need this because you had the Spirit of God. The greatest experience of any life, you have it. 
For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know. And what he teaches is true, it's not a lie. So just as he taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. You know, and so there, there's this reality of the Spirit of God that is teaching us we can hear, we can learn, we can experience this. This was the encouragement of the early writers. Now, the challenge with discerning God's voice, when we say this, is that in reality, when God is speaking, and we say this, for the majority of time, it's, it's not a sound of a wavelength. Even though God can speak audibly out loud, the majority of time, he doesn't unless he's speaking through another person. So for many of us, even as Jim talked last week about recognizing God's voice, it's not coming through audio waves. It's, it's coming through other means, which we're, we're attending, we're reflecting on what we're seeing and hearing and, and inside and the impressions and the promptings and the pictures in our minds and our heads and the things that are being spoken outside of us. So God's voice or his word doesn't usually come around us from sound waves. So this lack of an audible quality does not diminish the reality of God speaking. God speaks. He speaks. And so because of this, we talk about distinguishing God. Can I start with just a few warnings? Here's a few things before we get into this content of, of being on a step in to have greater experience with God. Here's a few warnings. Um, what, like, uh, not, a few things. One, um, there's other things that are speaking to us outside of us. So Satan is one of those, right? The voice of a deceiver and our own voice. So how do you distinguish the voice of God between your own voice and the voice of Satan? I mean, something really interesting, when you think about the temptation of Jesus, where the scriptures write about it, anybody you know, heard that story, he goes off into the desert and fasts for um, 40 days, right? 30 days, 40 days, a long time. A long time. He's fasting and isn't eating, and at the end of it, the tempter comes, the devil comes, and tempts him. So do you think, and most of the time when you've read that story, do you all of a sudden, uh, like a cloaked figure or maybe a bat person shows up and says, oh, Jesus, turn these, turn these stones into bread? Is that, do you actually think there's a physical manifestation? I, I think I've pictured it that way. But you know that's kind of ridiculous? I mean, if the bat figure or the Satan, the Satan figure all of a sudden up in a cloak, you know, and it's like, hmm, turn this bread into these rocks. Like, you'd all of a sudden be like, I'm not going anywhere near that advice. <laughs> right? No, no, no. When the devil came and when the tempter came, it, it wasn't in, a, it wasn't in his, his persona of a physical characteristic. No, it was in these whispers. Whispering his ideas, his deceptions, his lies, his death into Jesus. In the same way that we're trying to discern God's voice, Robert said when God speaks to us, he's not showing up in this physical form. And Satan, the, the devil, is doing the same thing. Ideas and impulses and thoughts that can come upon us to tempt us. And sometimes it's coming from our own voice, and that's what the scriptures say, that when you're tempted, it's like these deep longings within yourself are the things that are tempting you, these ideas that are deep within us. The, the characteristics of my voice typically look like this. Um, I want what I want, right? <laughs> Do you? No, I, I, my voice sounds like, well, I want that, so I'm going to tell my, you know, I want what I want. We want, what I, we want what we want. Um, I often criticize and accuse myself. That's what my voice sounds like. That's also what the enemy's voice sounds like. It, it, it's really accusation-based, shame-based, guilt-based. And, and when it's my voice, I often tell God what to do. Anybody else? So if those are parts of it, you can kind of know that's not God. When you're telling him what to do, if it's accusation-based, um, and if it's just what you want, doesn't mean that God's not going to deliver in that. But just a few warnings. If there's any voice that promises you total exemption from suffering and failure, it is most certainly not God. 
there is a whole thread of religious propaganda that is out there saying, you know what, suffering's not for the Christian. Right? There's no failure in it for you. But yet, when we look over the entire story of Scripture and every faithful person who has lived beyond us, their life was marked with hardship, trials, and suffering. But yet, their life was marked with a God who said, I'm with you. I will not abandon you. I will comfort you. I will save you. And he may even potentially save you out of those sufferings. But if anything guarantees no suffering or no failure, it's not God. Sorry. I wish it wasn't so. Half the time, my own sufferings and my own failures are the things that distort me from forgetting the life that God's called me into. And I think, I'm doing it wrong. I don't like this. I want to be comfortable. That's my voice, not God's. A few warnings there. So as you can know, this, this conversation is incredibly important. And so in this, about discerning God's voice, we must use judgment. And using judgment, this means listening to God doesn't make our own decision-making process unnecessary. And so we want to be wise about how we make decisions and how we're trying to discern. And so you, God has given you wise judgment, Nick. And so here's just a few things. This is just wise sort of stuff about how to make decisions and about how to discern. These things that Dallas Word speaks to. These are, this is sort of exercising responsible judgment. And, and exercising responsible judgment usually comes to us in conjunction with responsible study and meditation on the Bible, experience of the various kinds of movements of the Spirit in our heart, and intelligent alertness to the circumstances that befall us. These are concrete things that can help us to seek to know the will of God. And as we reflect on our circumstances, this is what Jim was talking about last week, right? He was like, oh gosh, how do we know the ways God talks? It's through what we're seeing and hearing and feeling and our emotions, right? Like thinking. So we're being reflective, So as we reflect on our circumstances, as we reflect on our impressions of the Spirit and the passages of scriptures that we read, we also listen for the divine voice. But when God speaks, when we recognize the voice as his voice, we do so because we're familiar with the voice. And that familiarity helps us, enables us to recognize it. And so these things I just mentioned, they just turn out to be really good things to do that help us exercise reasonable judgment. But they are not like a template for saying, oh, this is God. The number one way of knowing that we hear God is through experience. Again and again. But these are reasonable things that help us exercise judgment, a regular encounter in, in God's word. Just meditating upon his scripture, reading it, so the responsibly studying it. The experience of various kinds of movements of the spirit of our heart. That's the reflecting on what God's doing, the impressions upon us, experiencing what it, what it feels like and going with it and processing that and reflecting upon it in intelligent alertness to the circumstances that are going on in our lives. God is not speaking outside of the experience in the context of your life. He's speaking into the context of your life. But he's also doing it through this full context of the scripture and responsiveness to what you're prompting, what you're feeling. Those are great ways to be wise. Sidebars. So today we're talking about trying to discern. Experience is huge. And the characteristics of God's voice, I got three factors, three things about being able to characteristics of God's voice. And this is from Dallas Willard. It's in a book called Hearing God. It's a great book. He was a great author, a man who followed Jesus and a disciple of Jesus. Um, so you can read that if you, if you would like. But I think his whole thing would be for us to just to engage and to apply and to act upon it. But these are three things, three factors in the voice that he mentioned that I think are just spot on for, for being able to grow in our ability to experience God's voice, become familiar with it, but also to know that these are the characteristics that go along with it. Three things. The first is quality, the second is the spirit, and the third is the content. So when we talk about the quality 
of a voice. I mean, there's a number of things that go in there with the quality, right? It's, it's the way, when we're talking about the human voice, it's a matter of tone, um, it's, in the, it's, uh, it's in modulation. On the human level, it's in the style of speech, maybe slow, fast, smooth, halting, indirect, or to the point. That's what quality is about, the nature of it. The spirit of the voice is just sort of the, the underarching, what's underneath it, what, what's in it. So the voice may be passionate, or cold, whining, or demanding, timid, or confident, or commanding. And the content just, just has to do with, I mean, even though the content isn't the one that helps us most recognize it, it's not the most immediate sign, um, it is the most conclusive, right? It reveals the history and the conscious experience of the speaker. A bit of information about what one is saying, it can totally identify a speaker in certain cases. Even if they're not the exact messenger, right, the content can drive it, the information that they're wanting to deliver. So those are the three. So how does this apply into the person of God? So what's the quality of God's voice if we're gonna get into these? What is the quality of God's voice. And one of the big ones was the weightiness. The quality of God's voice, the quality of Jesus' voice, the voice of the Spirit, is the quality of weightiness. Immediately, there's a sense of, um, when I think of weighty, it's like, it's, it's heavy, but not, not heavy, it's oppressive. Do you know what I mean? The value of what they speak. There's an authority to it that isn't authoritative. quality of it is it's um, because of its weightiness there's an impact or uh, the impression that it makes upon you and upon us and our consciousness there's a steady and a calm force for which this word impacts our soul and inclines us to hear it and move upon it in some way our innermost being says yes to it as the weight of what's said, immediately hear it by the authority that's there, and we just agree. Yeah, that's it. Maybe there's an inward, immediate power to it where it resonates. It's a little bit, it's grounded, it's saying something, it lands. And when that word lands, it does have a weightiness to it. It's just not the, the same peripheral nonsense that we hear again and again and again. It's not small talk. When it comes, it kind of covers a bit and stays. It has this authority, power to it. That's the quality of God's voice. So when Jesus spoke, and when he taught, and he taught in the Sermon on the Mount, the, the people were like, who is this? He doesn't speak like all these other teachers who, man, they knew the scriptures. Back and forth. No, but they said this, he spoke with an authority. There was a weightiness to what he said, where it mattered. So when Jesus spoke out to the demon-possessed and said things like, out, it would listen, right? And the people were like, who is this who comes with that kind of authority? When the storms were raging, like the, the, the winds blowing outside, and when that was happening with Jesus, he said things like, Stop, right? Be still, and it did. That's a different kind of speaking. There's an authoritative point. That's the quality. There's an authoritative mark to it. In God's authoritative way, it, it doesn't argue, right? It's not an arguing. It's not trying to convince you. God just speaks, And it feels like the voice of God from within. 
Has that been your experience? That's been mine. That's quality. The spirit of God's voice um, is, is, again, like the spirit, the undertone underneath it. What was it? His voice is not the voice of a bully. It will not run you over in your will. The voice of God is like the voice of Jesus. And as we see Jesus in his overall personal wholeness of the scriptures, you want to know like the overall spirit of what God's voice was like, read the stories of Jesus and the spirit of his tone to everyone he talked to. Look at the whole of his life and you'll get a sense of the spirit in which he spoke. Sure, he, he, he was direct and he confronted people and he corrected them, but his overarching spirit was different. Inclusive, welcoming, prompting, inviting. It was like when God spoke for himself, describing his overall essence in Exodus 34, 6. He says, the Lord, the Lord. He spoke this to Moses after they had sinned against him. So he describes his, the spirit and the quality. He says, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And when James was describing a wisdom from above, a wisdom from God, a revelation from God, this is the spirit of the revelation. This is in James 3.17. It says, but the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It's a pureness to it. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times. It's willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism. It's always sincere. There's no hypocrisy in it. That's what the spirit of God's voice is like. And the final one is content. And so what is the content? The content's the matter of the information that the voice conveys to us. And so as we continue to hammer these truths about hearing God, the content and the information of God's voice will never be contradictory. It will never contrast or be against what God is saying of himself from the scriptures, the truth of God's nature and kingdom that are made clear in the Bible. Any content or claim that doesn't conform, can conform and confirm the biblical content is not a word from God. So let, let, but let me then back up a little bit and, and give you a bigger idea of this because this is a dangerous thing because people have taken all sorts of stuff from the Bible and said, oh, here's the content and so this must be what God wants us to do. And so in this, we have to know what are the principles of Scripture and then what are this, these, these moments of Scripture that is there. What are the principles and what are the incidentals? Because they're there. I mean, you know, in the history of even our own country and any other country that has, has pursued any kind of overarching empower, uh, overarching empowering over to diminish and to lower any kind of people group. They have used and hijacked the church. So anytime that's ever happened over any kind of country or people or state of affairs, the majority of time the church has been complicit in it because they didn't understand the idea of principle over the incidentals. The reality of racism in our own country, right? They took these incidentals and they had all these weird scriptures that would in some way seem to say, you know what? Well, I mean, God has made a certain people a little bit above and these people are less than and somehow they weren't able to see the principle of scripture from the beginning to end about the overarching value of humanity regardless of gender regardless of age, right? Like, regardless of race, regardless of... So you have to understand the idea between when there's a principle or when there's an incidental. It is the principles, not the incidentals of Scripture that count here. 
for understanding the content of God. And so the study of scripture makes, makes clear that certain things are fundamental, absolute, without exception. And that is if it's repeated many times, then dwell on it and seek to understand it. Can I give you a couple examples? I'll give you an example. Um, so Jesus, he, he encountered this guy who was really wealthy. And if you know this story, this man came to him and was like, Jesus, what do I do to inherit life? And Jesus said this, sell everything you have, give it to the poor. Awesome story. The guy, it's, it was too much for him, at least in the story, and he doesn't do it. Is that a principle of scripture, or is that an incidental? Now again, the way you discern this, or it, your answer, you know, I'm going to say that most of you have said it's incidental, <laughs> or you don't want to do it. We know what, but it is incidental. That's not the overarching principle, the scripture that says, you know what, sell everything you have and give to the poor. No, there, there is instruction to be like, be generous. It's better to give than receive. But this was, an, this was a very specific movement that Jesus invited this man to follow him and was like, you're under trap, man. Sell everything you have and get to the poor. That doesn't mean that God may not ask, could ask that of you. He can. But that is not an overarching principle of the scripture. Does that make sense? An overarching principle of the scripture would be the overarching principle when Jesus said things like this, oh, the greatest commandment, you want to understand what God's will is for your life, is to love God with all of your heart, um, with all of your muchness, with all your might, with all your strength, with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, when I love my neighbor as myself, it, it might be very similar to some of the actions of that first commandment. That's an overarching principle of Scripture. Here's what love for God looks like. It's loving God with your everything and loving your neighbor. To say you love God but don't love your neighbor, you don't love God. That's not love for God. And so that's a principle. That when anything is driving you towards love to your neighbor, believe me, it's not coming from you and it's not coming from Satan. <laughs> he just doesn't tell you to do that. Satan just doesn't tell you, you know what? You see that guy kind of down on his luck, sitting on a curb, hanging out there, doing nothing? He doesn't say, you know what? Um, care about him. Talk to him, look him in the eyes. We don't say that to ourselves, and Satan doesn't say that to us. So when that happens, you can be like, huh, that content is a principle of Scripture. To love my neighbor as myself. So these are three of the ways when we look at the quality of God's voice, the spirit, and the content. Now, the key of this, Jesus is key. I mean, you want to know the content of scriptures? Jesus is key. Look at his life. When we take Jesus and his wholeness as the model to follow, which means how to trust him when we follow him, when we take him as the model you will safely identify the content and the inner voice of God. No, Jesus, follow him. Anyway, when we as Genesis, we put before us this content of the life of Jesus, and we say things like the, the shape of Jesus' life looked like this. The way that Jesus lived, this content of his life, was always driving him to communion with the Father, to be with God. The shape of Jesus' life was always moving him to be with people that he loved, his own disciples, his, his family, and to encourage them and to spend time with them and to be with them and listen to them, to value them, to practice things with them. And it was always, the shape of Jesus' life was always moving him to be with the hurting. That was the content of his life. And that's what we are modeling our lives after Jesus. And if anything, any kind of movement or voice of God is moving us to attend to the Father and to be with him, to come back to him as Deb's story was one, oh, we can be certain it's God speaking. Jesus said this in John 8, 12. It says, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you come after me, you trust me, pattern your life after me, Imitate me, right? You follow me, you trust me for your life. 
You will not walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. For me, that's the thing that drives me, right? Moves me, this promise of God. So in this last minute, what, what does this look like for me? Um, for me, when I think about God's voice, the quality and the spirit of it, for me, God's voice is always life-affirming. Do you know what that, what that means? This is how uh, my experience with God's voice is it's life-affirming. God's voice is affirming my life because my own voice and the voice of the enemy is accusative. It's not affirming my life. It says, there you go again. <laughs> you just better hide. I'll get it. What are you doing? You're a joke. Right? It, it, it's accusing me, but God is always life-affirming. He's affirming me. Affirming my life. He confirms my life by telling me the truth. It doesn't mean it's always like, oh, you're the best. Life affirming is that life, my life is affirming, so God wants to speak into it. He wants to tell me what's out of line and out of order. And usually what's out of orders is when I'm not affirming the lives of others. Because I want what I want, right? And so when God speaks, he's affirming not only my own life, but he's affirming the lives of others. And he's affirming the life of my wife. He's affirming the life of my child. He's affirming the life of my coworkers. It's a number of times when, I mean, I, I, with our team here and with Nate, and all of a sudden I'll be in a conversation and I will just, I, you know, I, my language, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm censoring it right now, the different adjectives of what I'm like at times. <laughs> you know, because the only ones I can think of are things like a turd and a jackass, you know, right? Just these things, right? And, and, and I'll have these encounters, right? And so if you're like me, it's like, oh, yeah, you're like us. So I, and I have these encounters, and my encounter is not life-affirming for people I care about. Right? And then God will be whispering, you know, like, oh, that wasn't life-affirming. He'll affirm the value of my friends. He'll affirm the life of the poor and of the hurting. He'll affirm the value of those who are stepping in in the warming center. So don't be trite. Right? It's always life affirming. Affirming for them, affirming for all of these, affirming for those who frustrate me. He's always affirming them. The other thing, the God's voice for Deb, I loved your story. Thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, Deb was 15, she said, when she, she decided to turn right from God and I was like, oh man, I was 15 when I first heard of Jesus. It's been 30 years. Like, wow. What a, what a weird journey. If I think about the 30 years and the spirit of God's voice, my experience with hearing him, it always, or it, it is usually one that continues to beckon me to come home. Right? It's always inviting me nearer because every part of me in that 30 years has always been tempted to wander, right? To wander off. I don't know if you, you can relate to that when it comes to this pursuing Jesus, trusting Jesus, following Jesus. It's so easy to wander. But the spirit of the voice of Jesus, the spirit of the voice of God is not one that pushes me away. He has consistently beckoned me to return to him Whenever I get on the wrong path, the wrong idea, the wrong motives. Almost like in that story, if you read the story of the, um, the, the, the son who did all kinds of stupid stuff and he came to his senses and he said, go back to your father. And the voice of God has always been that one beckoning me to come return to him. That's the spirit of his voice. I'll close with this and then we'll pray. I was driving last night and the Lord spoke to me through it. So I'm driving and I see a guy cross the road as I'm preparing for the windstorm. And this guy, as I see him, he reminded me, all of a sudden, boom, reminded me of this guy who owes me money. I rarely, nobody ever owes me money, right? But all of a sudden I remember, it's like, oh, I loaned somebody some money like three weeks ago. And they said the next Monday they were going to come back in and give me the money. Right? And it's been like three weeks. And all of a sudden, I remember and, re- and seeing this guy walk across the street and reminded me 
of this guy I know that I see occasionally. And all of a sudden, I'm like, he's dodging me. Huh. He's dodging me because he doesn't want to come down with the fact that he had the money and he, he can't repay it, so he's not coming around. This is hurting our friendship. And then I'm kind of thinking about, oh, here's what I'm, what, what am I going to say to him when I finally do see him? Because he's going to come back around again. Hey, you were supposed to come back. What happened? And all of a sudden, this whisper of God. Hey, Bo, that's, hey, Bo, um, don't you know that you're dodging me? <laughs> now, the quality. It wasn't accusative. There's a weight to it, and all of a sudden that weight was like, it's been a hard week, right? And all of a sudden I just distracted this week. Distracted in my own patterns and my own things and my own comfort, my own rest, just as the circumstances kind of just kick you, right? And all of a sudden you know you're kind of dodging and you're not, you're not pursuing, listening, actively involved. And as I sit there and I think the spirit, and the, the spirit of it was, was one that was calling me to return, right? But it was true. It was one of those things when I was like, oh, that's true. I am. And I had to think, oh, why am I dodging you, God? I mean, I'll do some things for you. And I've been involved. I mean, God's even given me opportunities to love people, right? And to extend his love for them. But it's like, hey, well, I think that's awesome that you're doing these things. And you're stepping into these things. And yes, I'm participating in you. But you're dodging me. And I'm dodging because I, I, I know there's things that I'm embarrassed about and I want to fix. And I want to get right. And I want to, right, I, I want to, instead of being like, well, just come to me in the same way. This, and so I'm doing, I'm going through this. Here's the quality, here's the spirit. And again, this, isn't, this is me just saying, looking back after the fact and saying, this is the line. The content of the scripture has always been one where there have been people been dodging God and he calls them to return. <laughs> right? That's the story of the Bible. Adam, after he doesn't want to listen to what God says, goes his own way, God says, Adam, where are you? Why are you hiding? God's invitation for us to come out of the hiding. He's always life-affirming. He's always drawing us closer. We can experience him. The essentials of what we're talking about this, that there is a distinctive quality, spirit, and content to the voice of God that we learn through experience by reflecting and pulling these things in, hearing it, and acting on it. And all these associate to the personal presence of God in us. So, with that in mind, as we paint this vision of why it's so necessary for us to hear from God, do you, and there's times in my life when I can say it, that I have times of intent, when I actually have the intent to want to hear God and act on it. And there's times when I look at my life and when God says, but why are you dodging me? When I don't have the intent to actually want to reflect, hear what he has to say, and act upon it. What's crucial for us is to remember that God wants to speak. And if we turn our ear to him with intent, and here in a few weeks we're going to talk about these means, Nate's going to talk about that, and next week Scott's going to talk about the barriers, God will speak. So let me pray. So Father, through all of this stuff that has been shared, would you bring to the surface of minds and hearts, emotions, and that um, something, God, that carries a little bit more weight that you want your sons and daughters to reflect upon. God, and maybe it's the, the weight of some circumstances in life. Maybe it's the weight of some content. Maybe it's the weight of something, of a whisper of you. God, would you, God, bring to the surface what you want to say, how you want to provoke and prompt and move. And you, God, God, would you bring your spirit of wisdom so that you would help them to experience this quality of something that's just a little bit heavier more substantial and good. Would you, your spirit, God, show them the spirit of it 
that is gentle and kind and good and loving, even though it's direct. And Lord, would you show them the content of it that aligns with the deepest heart of your scriptures. So Father, bring to the surface so that we as your body can gain experience with your voice and hearing. And so today, you have given us an opportunity to experience you and your voice. By your great mercy, may we have a willing spirit to participate and not deaf ears. Today, may we not harden our hearts to what you may want to say to us regarding our relationship with you, with others, about your longings for us, that the truths of our lives. May we not harden. So, Father, speak. Right now, in the silence, in this little space, whisper, God, something for each of your sons and daughters here that you want them to reflect on more. By your grace, God, would you extend your mercy still for your sons and daughters who might struggle to hear? Would you let them know that you are closer than they know? And they test, Lord, what they're hearing. We pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.